Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alan Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another BritFits.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is, I think this is third time on the show, so welcome Julian Richards. Yes, great great to be back for... uh... For the, the third time, I think it's the third time. It is, yeah. I think, yeah, I think you're, uh, you're 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 in a, you're, you're breathing rare air there. The person, the people who do a hat trick of appearances. Um, <laughs> I'm going to try and think, but then I might I might be pausing for silence for too long to try and remember who else is. But uh, but we've not come here to talk about the demographics and repeat appearances of people on the podcast. We're here to talk about your new film, Daddy's Girl, that you've directed. So before we do anything else, do you want to give people a brief synopsis to what Daddy's Girl is about? Um, yeah, uh, Daddy's Girl is um, uh, set in the U.S. in the, in the, in the Deep South, mm-hmm. um, and it's a story of um, uh, a young woman who um, it, it, she's um, she's sort of um, been held captive by her stepfather mm-hmm. after the suicide of her mother, um, and her stepfather is a sort of a, an, an Iraq War veteran, um, but also a prolific serial killer. Mm-hmm. And he uses her as bait to lure new victims. Um, and she's, uh, you, you know, sort of um, a reluctant accomplice in the whole situation. Um, but it's sort of like Stockholm Syndrome in a way. She's, um, she's um, her, her, her father, her stepfather is, you know, really the only person that that that, that, that she knows and that mm. controls her. And, uh, and she's, she's sort of under his spell. Um, and, and the story is very much her journey of, you know, dealing with the situation and ultimately sort of finding a way out of it. Okay. Uh, so this is, you've, you've recently shown at, has it shown at Raindance already? Uh, it, um, it, it actually gets its, um, its premiere at Raindance on Monday. Monday, okay. So October we're talking, 1st. we're talking on uh, 29th of September, so yeah, a couple of days away. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and then is it what is it going on? Is it going off doing a few other festivals, or is it then moving moving into a release date? Um, it'll it, it'll play more festivals before the release. Um, it's it's kind of an extraordinary sort of story about how this film was made. Um, originally, the script came to me about fifteen years ago. Okay. Uh, and um, 
uh, it was around about the same time as, as, as high tension um, with, and, and last automobile were in the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, uh, I tried to set it up and, and couldn't, um, and it ended up in my bottom drawer. Um, and then um, uh, this time last year, I, I just had a, a random email um, from an Indian producer who happened to be sort of connected with um, one of the biggest broadcasters in India, ZTV, and they were wanting to do a slate of horror movies mm. in um, Eastern Europe, um, financed out of uh, India and Dubai and Mauritius. Um, and um, he came to me really because uh, I'd sort of established a, a reputation, um, both as a filmmaker and a, as a sales agent, you know, uh, yeah, as yeah, the man to go to, to, um, to, to, to do something with horror. Um, and, um, uh, so I met up up with him, um, and, um, uh, he said, right, well, we, we need to start shooting something in the next two months. So what have you got that's ready to go? (laughs) Uh, and, And that was actually the most advanced script that I had, you know, um, I had lots of other scripts, but they were all sort of works in progress. Whereas this particular script was more or less, you know, done. Now, um, just, just for, for the writers listening out there, you're, you're the director of this, obviously taking somebody else's screenplay. Now, it being 15 years ago is, is, is I guess, neither here nor there. It's like, from, from a director's point of view, what was, it, what was it when you got hold of that script for the first time, as it were, that, that, that sort of got it over the line for you as being something you'd like to make? Um, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of, um, of uh, Hawk Tension. Mm-hmm. Um, a switchblade romance, and um, I, um, when I read this script, mm-hmm. it sort of, you know, was reminiscent of it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it. It was, however, quite a different script to the script that eventually got made. Okay. Um, and um, uh, in in the original script, um, uh, uh, all um, all the victims of the film, um, including the vigilante that turns up at the end turn out to be the same character. They're all Zoe. Okay. And they're, they're all mach, machinations of her inner, inner self. So very much like the French versions you saw it in. Yeah, 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 exactly. So um, that, that, that was the original sort of plan. Um, but um, when we actually sort of um, sat down and worked out how we were, we were going to make this film, we realised that it was going to be very difficult to pull that off on the screen. Hmm. You know, how would you do it? Would you cast lot, lot of actors that kind of look like each other, or would you get the same actress to play the same role? Um, and you know, how how doable was this in the time frame that we had, and the level of control that we had over everything? And, mm. um, actually, the producer suggested that we didn't go that route, um, and that we um, we play it straight and, um, and 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 have all you know. Well, I've just what input then does does Timothy did Timothy Hill have as the writer of the original? Did he did he then do these the rewrites of what the what the new direction what the, the sort of nuanced direction would be to shoot, or is he sort of not involved in that directly? Uh, he wasn't involved in in the rewrite. No, um, I um, I basically started the rewrite off myself. Okay. Um, because I, I I was sort of aware of you know that dilemma mm. um, throughout the process, and I'd already sort of began to think about you know what 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 would the film be like without that twist? Mm. Yeah, because uh, also I mean for, for certainly Switchblade Romance, it's it's a real it's a real marmite moment, isn't it? For a lot of people, they a lot of people love the film and then then hate what it happens, and other people really relish in the fact that it has this this kind of absurd sort of step change to 
Well, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I was one of the, the people that loved the twist. Mm. From me, it was a nightmare and a damaged brain. So yeah, not me too. It, it didn't need ex, ex, explanation. Mm. Um, uh, uh, you know, and you can retrospectively scrutinize the plot and say, well, how does this happen and how does that? But, you know, when, when you're dealing with a, you know, a protagonist like um, uh, the Cecil de France character in that film, then you know, there is no reason. It's, it's uh, you know, it, you're dealing with a nightmare and a damaged brain, so you just go along with it. So when, um, you, when you began the, the, the rewrite then, um, what was, what for you, taking, taking um, I guess what is, you consider to be like a high, a high concept idea and then, and then changing that concept? Because um, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's still quite a high concept to have like the idea of a, of a murderous father with a kind of Stockholm Syndrome uh, yeah. stepdaughter as his, as his accomplice. That, that's also... That's, that's already quite terrifying as a proposition. So uh, what were the storytelling yeah. challenges then for you, sort of well, unravelling the, the existing screenplay and bringing it to what it is now? Well, I suppose in, in the original script, you could always, because, you know, the, the film at the end of the day is, is, um, is, a, is a huge torture porn film. Mm. Um, and um, and uh, uh, with the original idea and the twist, uh, our way of sort of dealing with that was saying, well, actually, none of that actually happened. You know, this is the story of a girl pulling herself together. Ah. It's not a story about a bunch of girls being tortured by a man. This is actually, you know, it's it it it, it um that that twist um helped helps people have with that genre. Mm. So so when when we uh, took that element out, what we were left with was a huge torture porn film. Mm. <laughs> and and um, you know, uh, 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 post Me Too. Um, and um, after you know the that particular subgenre has sort of had its day, so it was quite a challenge for me to go right. Well, how can I, how can I sort of make this relevant? Um, and and I suppose the 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 new idea that that, that we added was um, making the stepfather a war veteran mm-hmm. and linking him to um, Abu Ghraib. Yeah, no, that was a bold, bold move. That bold move um, in well, terms of well, where, where the story pans out. Um, well, that yeah, that that became for me the theme. You know, film films have to be about something. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, for me, it's it's like um, war damages people. Um, so you know, when people go off to war and they come back, they're going to be damaged. They're going to be bringing some of that, you know, that horror back with them. Um, and um, you know that that to me was the became the the interesting element and the driving force of, of the piece. So um, so you were talking about the the, the, the producer was uh, coming to you with the idea of shooting in two months' time in in Eastern Europe, but obviously this film is as you said described as being set in the southern states of America. So what what are the challenges taking a film idea to Eastern Europe and making it? reveal itself to be Southern States of America as a, as a, as a narrative. Yeah, well, um, uh, I think we were helped by the fact that it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's a rural story. It's set, you know, it's set in, in it's not set in the city, mm. it's set in, in the boondocks. Yeah. Um, you know, and that, you know, a tree is a tree is a tree, you know, so, um, uh, uh, as long as we could control our interiors, um, which we more or less could, um, shooting the exteriors, we would just shoot, you know, find locations that were rural, um, and um, be quite cautious about where we were pointing the camera. 
Um, I'm, I'm actually surprised and, and very pleased with um, the end result in, in that context. You know, I don't, I, I don't think there's much in the film that gives away that it was shot in, in Tbilisi, Georgia. Um, uh, so um, we had an American production designer um, who was, uh, for, you know, very particular about, um, you know, controlling uh, what what we filmed and what we framed. Yeah. Um, and I often sort of disagreed with her, and 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 you know, had a much broader canvas, uh, much to her chagrin. But you know, be, between our sort of, uh, you know, we found a compromise and we made it work. Well, it certainly certainly looks it certainly looks like America if if. Um... When, when you're watching it, and I, it was interesting because I kind of it was only part way through that I remembered that, that you, you told me about the uh, the idea of it being shot out there, and I was thinking it hadn't even crossed my mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, that that's the thing. I mean, we we found sort of uh, you know because um, houses in the US tend to be wooden. Yeah. Uh, and in Eastern Europe and here for that matter, they tend to be you know um, uh, brick. Mm. Uh, so so we we did manage to find some old. Um, wooden houses, um, and, uh, and we filmed most of our sort of uh, um, uh, house, house house shots around that small area. Um, and we found the one um, uh, uh, American police car that exists in Georgia, um, and and that made a big difference. Just having a, you know something that that looks like a real American police car, mm. and we. American police uniforms over from LA, and just just having you know the attention to detail, um, uh, like like that. Even if it's just one car, I mean, I suppose there's two cars in the film, and both of them are very very American. Yeah. Um, so that you know that, that if if we'd have sort of got a European car instead, I mean, there's lots of European cars driving around the US, mm. but you know we we were trying to sell Americana. Well, you've got you've got. I mean, for for, for horror fans, there's a couple. There's certainly a couple of recognisable faces you've cast. You've got uh, Gemma Delander and uh, and Jesse, Jesse Moss. Two. Uh, I mean, I, I think Jesse Moss is a very uh, very underrated ta- talent on the uh, in the acting, not just not just the horror horror scene. How did you go about casting, getting getting him involved in the film? Yeah. Well, um, uh, the key thing um, was strategically, the producers did not want to use American actors because most American actors belong to SAG. Okay. And SAG, um, uh, when you make a film with SAG actors, you need to have SAG contracts and SAG rules, and there's also the big, you know, residual of the back end that needs to be paid to the actors. And and from a business point of view, it 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 can be counterproductive. Um, so we cast out of Canada, Australia, and the UK. Right. Um, and uh, because I, I was the sales agent on Stillborn, mm. um, Colin Minahan's um, and Brandon Christian's film, um, I, I, I knew Jess, Jesse Moss from that film. Um, and um, that's, that's how we got Jesse in. Um, and um, uh, with Gemma Dallander, I'd just seen her on uh, in I Spit on Your Grave mm. 2 and remembered, you know, her performance in that and thought that she would be good um, for Daddy's Girl. I mean, what's interesting about Gemma is she was originally cast as the vigilante. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And we had another actress um, <coughs> playing Zoe. Um, and um, like a week before we started shooting, um, that actress pulled out. 
um, and we had to do a reshuffle um, in order to get our cast. Um, so we um, we switched Gemma to um, to the lead. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, you know, that uh, it, when, when you're when, when you're shooting a film in Tbilisi, Georgia, and the money is coming from Mumbai and Dubai and you're dealing with agents in, you know, in, in Canada and the U.S. and, and Australia and um, everybody is a bit cautious. You know, you know is, is this actually going to happen? And you don't really know until you get there. Mm. Um, and some people are willing to hedge their bets and others are not. So quite often you'll put together a crew and you'll put together a cast. Um, and then the closer you get to shooting, you realize that um, they have no intention of being there or of coming um, and, um, and they disappear. So uh, uh, there was a lot of... Um, that's, a hard, uh, that's a hard lesson to have to learn, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's, it's, it's something that um, a British director, Harley Coakless, once said, you know, you've got to learn to ride with the tiger. <laughs> um, and that's that's sort of what it's like, you know. You you know, films films are often not made the way they're meant to be made. They're um, they're they're absolute chaos, and you have to find a way to make them work. Now, now, where where obviously Zoe Gemma Delander's character is sort of, I guess, the, the the focal point in terms of the audience's sort of where where the audience's concern, confusion, and empathy lies. The sort of anti-hero in the film is uh, is obviously a very recognisable face to Saw Saw fans. Uh, Costa Mandalor, who yeah. plays the uh, the father. Now, <laughs> he's he's gone from being the from the police from the policeman investigating investigating torture porn to being the being the, uh, the the creator of the of the torture within your within your movie. When when you when you're directing um, someone to do essentially sadistic things. How does that conversation go? Because it can't be like you know, it's not like. And can you just be a bit nastier, please, uh, so to speak? How do you how do you how do you prepare what you want, and how does how how are you getting the actors to be prepared to be sort of that nasty, as it were? Yeah, well, you know, it's 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 there on the page, um, and you know, I I really think that uh, what's there on the page is very important because mm-hmm. uh, it sets the whole tone of the piece. Um, and actually, you know, um, I think from the original script, um, there, there was a lot, you know, what, what, what was going on in the film was, was a little bit more, more, more racy than, than, than what we actually ended up with. Right. Um, you know, there, there were less clothes and there was more violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I directorially, I, I wasn't comfortable with that. Um, and, um, I sort of wanted to... You know, with horror, it's often it's often about what you don't see, mm-hmm. um, and um, also in this day and age, you know, the the tone of the piece didn't feel right. Um, uh, and you know, I'm saying from a from a sort of a Me Too perspective, you yeah. know, um, and I and so I I really I really wanted to to you know to to deal with this very difficult subject matter in the right way um, and and in a tasteful way. Um, you know, and there was there there were times when the, the finances were were sending messages through to the producer saying, hey, you know, he's not where's where's the nudity, where's the where's the violence, um, and, and 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 my response was, you know, I'm not making a Russ Mayer film here, you know, it's like yeah. it's, um, uh, uh, it's it's important to do this, you know, with taste. 
Yeah, because there's, there's, there's I think one of the things that you pull off is, uh, you know, it's not the only thing you pull off, obviously, but one of the things you pull off is that, is that, yes, there is lots of evil intent, and while surface, it's it's a, it's an easy shorthand to say torture bomb, but actually what we watch is far from your average, what, what you might perceive to be torture bomb at all. What you do is you take us into a place and surround it with imagery that gives, that fuels our imagination. So we kind of can fill in the blanks. We don't need we don't need to see every implement used or every, you know, just the idea that someone's been lured into a den and they're not going to get out is, 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 is enough horror in a way. You don't need to sort of give the pornography of the, of, of the sort of gory, gory, you know, shot for shot violence to make us understand what happens next. Yeah, yeah, well, this is key. I, you know, I, I wasn't making an exploitation film. Mm. Um, actually, you know, the tone of this film is more like a, 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 a policier film. It's more like, um, uh, you know, a crime thriller, um, mm. like Silence of the Lambs. Um, so that, that's sort of what I was aiming at. Yeah, you've got kind of, there's a level of um, sort of, in, 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 um, in Costa's character, there's a level of I, I can't be caught. And then what we see is a kind is I guess a net slowly closing on him that he's not really aware of because of his I guess he's a psychopath, isn't he? Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. psychopaths eventually get caught because of because of their uh, their craziness, not because they're cunning criminals. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's uh, he's certainly fallible. Um, I mean, I think that his uh, him as a character was kind of interesting because. Um, you know, I was dealing with with um, uh, Bible Belt, I suppose. You know, um, a right wing reactionary kind of um, vibe from that character, um, and um, that was combined with. You know, I, I, I often thought, well, it's a bit of a cliche. You know, guy goes off to war and comes back a serial killer. Mm. Um, the question is, is, was he a serial killer before he went to war, and was he just using the war as a as an opportunity to, you know, to, to practice his craft. Um, it, it's, um, it's an either or situation with, with him, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that plays into, if you remember the, 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 uh, the Shankill butcher from, you know, in the troubles in Ireland, you know, in the end, they, they, he wasn't fighting for the, for the Ulsterman at all. He was just this bloke who liked killing. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, then, and then, you know, that was sorted out in a way that was better for both sides as opposed to, um, yeah, that's an interesting part of it because I think also because of the way because it's set in America, and that that kind of rural America, there is that that that, that lovely thing about get off my land, you know, don't come, you know, don't come near. I'll do what I want behind my closed door. Literally, is what Costa's doing. But there yeah. is that freedom to do it when, 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 when culturally everyone believes that you that you know that you, you leave each other to to their own devices. Yeah, yeah. Which is, yeah, which is, yeah, yeah. I mean, they do have the right to defend themselves. But but also just that idea of that you, you know everyone keeps themselves themselves. It's like neighbours are, are are hundreds of yards away, if not miles away. You know, whereas you know you live somewhere like London, I can I can reach out from my door and touch my my neighbour's house. You know, it's 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 not you know, and, and and people are walking by all the time. There's no distance. You know. How everywhere, everywhere, even even you know the houses themselves become their own little islands, don't they? So it becomes almost like the the perfect storm for for someone like uh, Costa's character to to be to to get away with being as evil as he is. Yeah, yeah, ab absolutely. I think it's it's important that you know the uh, 
that how how rural the location is. It's sort of like Texas Chainsaw in, in a way. How rural the location is, you know, sort of um, allows for that possibility. I the, mean, the, um, yeah. The other, the other. I mean, I guess there's a there's, there's a moral ambiguity going on in in, in your film as well, because obviously we're, if we're rooting for Zoe. Zoe, Zoe's, Zoe's um, sort of level of, of, of in, in it up to her neck, as it were, despite mm. clearly being, she's clearly a victim, I'm not, I'm not, not under, under but, but her role in, in her stepfather's sort of um, murderous, uh, murderous rampage, as it were, is she plays a part in it, and it's not like she's, she's, she's on a lead, or she, she's free to do what she wants at the point. Yeah. Um, so there's a there's a level of sort of moral moral ambiguity or moral relativism to the tale as well, isn't there? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, she is a, she is an accomplice, mm. um, and um, the way in which you know her her um, her, her helping the um, the victims escape in the way that she does um, is sort of merciful. Mm. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean that that that's sort of uh, I think when when um when somebody is in a situation like that and they're uh, they're so much under the control um of of um of somebody like 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 John like Costas mm. um, then yeah i mean they um they're not going to be entirely responsible for their actions no i mean i've 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 i've, I've been doing a lot of research myself in sort of this area and if you look at um some of the kind of long-term kidnap stories you read about in America, you know, people that were held kidnapped for like a decade or more were, were at some points allowed to go to the shops on their own and they still came back. Yeah. Which is kind of, you know, to, to, when you're not in that situation, it's impossible to even picture that you wouldn't run, run to someone and say, help me. Yeah. But yeah. That, that level of sort of um, long-term brainwashing and yeah. fear that goes on in somebody's mind. Is... Yeah, that, that that played a big part actually in in in, in the rewriting, and um, we we got Sean Hogan in to do um, a, a, a draft of the script, mm. a couple of drafts of the script, and uh, I remember both Sean and I sort of you know um, going over the idea. I suppose I felt that that Zoe should be more sort of um, trapped in in the um, in the house. You know, and and um, and and not that free to roam. Mm. Uh, but but Sean Sean felt that it was okay for her to be free to roam because she would still be psychologically under his spell. Yeah, because um, that that adds that adds a real dilemma to the well, from from my point of view as the viewer, it adds a real dilemma to the story for you because you kind of go, okay, she can easily get away. Yeah, but she's not. So clearly, something else is something else is wrong here that that isn't just about. Being trapped or not trapped, as it were. Um, yeah. What do you? What? Uh, uh, one last question about the. Um, actually, not like to talk. But thinking about your conversation with your DLP, um, what was what was your conversations there about about the look and feel you were trying to achieve? Um, well, we um, we we were sort of uh, you know uh, the, the 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 DLP was uh, is from Serbia. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had actually DOP'd uh, another film that I that I sell called the Rift uh, sci- sci-fi film, mm-hmm. um, and um, uh, I, I was attracted to his work from from seeing that film. Okay. Uh, but we, you know, our, our initial thing, you know, our initial sort of challenge was how do we make Tbilisi, Georgia, look like America? Um, you know, so um, 
you know, we 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 went you know widescreen two three five. We 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 were looking for those you know the, those big open roads, um, which just outside of Tbilisi you get, um, and um, we were also looking for classic um, you know uh, grimy cellars. Um, and torture chambers and something, you know, very sort of familiar from, hmm. from the support, tor- torture porn um, uh, subgenre. Um, so, um, uh, and, and therefore, you know, sickly green fluorescent lighting um, and, um, you know, anything that, 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 that created sort of a, a sense of Americana. Um, uh, and we were looking for a lot of movement, so we actually decided to shoot a lot of the film on Steadicam. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, um, uh, uh, particularly towards the end of the film. I mean, we we were um, always fighting the schedule. Um, things would crop up that were unexpected, and we'd lose a day. Um, and then we had to sort of rethink and find out how we could m- work quicker. Um, and um, the closer we got towards the end of the shoot, the less time we had, and the more the more we had to shoot. So we we switched from track and dolly to steady cam, and, um, and started to shoot everything on the move. And did, did you talk about any any specific aesthetics that you were hoping to achieve? If that's if that's the the sort of energy behind the camera and what it's trying to do, what was was there any kind of obvious obvious? Yeah. Um, my my reference point, I suppose, um, uh, the two films that we looked at prior to shooting this was um, High Tension. Okay. And Martyrs. Right. Yeah. And and and, and I have to ask because because given given where you shot, what was the how challenging was the supermarket shoot? Because obviously <laughs> that's they, they, you know it looks it looks American enough, but I imagine. They're not, there's not many Reese's Pieces and uh, and um, and Cheerios on the shelves. So, you, yeah, that that must have been a tricky one to pull off. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's it, we we managed to sort of do it in such a way where we didn't show too much detail about the product on on the shelves. And then when we got to that location, uh, Dimitri, the DOP, they said, "Oh, you know, I I shoot I've shot supermarkets all my life because he does a lot of." adverts in mm. in um, with supermarkets and he says you know even if you've got you know real product there you can't show it because of um you know um uh, having the copyright to um to to show Kellogg's cornflakes or whatever in a, in a film you you need permission to do it so um we we tended to use sort of um uh longer lenses and have an, a narrower depth of field so anything you know uh, on the shelves was slightly out of focus. Yeah, because I mean, I must admit, as being 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 a saddo that I am, I went back and had a look to see if I could see what I could see. Because that was where it did. I think that was where it dawned on me. It's like, fucking hell, this is in this is being not in America, but I can't tell. <laughs> well, well, you know, uh, that 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 location was kind of funny actually because um, um, just. Just the way that, that that some of the shelves were stacked mm. um, felt a little sparse. Right. Uh, and um, I was happy with that actually because that's probably how it is in rural America. Mm. Uh, but um, uh, there were others um, that, that that had a different opinion, um, and they wanted all the, all the gaps on the shelves filled. 
you know, um, and I came along and I said, well, who, who, um, who, um, who told you to fill the shelves? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I then had to instruct the production design team to un- unfill the shelves again so that we could see Jesse Moss, um, you know, creep- creeping up behind the shelf. Um, so, yeah, I was, it's, it's um, some, sometimes, you know, the fact that we were shooting into Bloody Georgia made it more similar to what it might be like shoot, shooting in a rural part of Atlanta, Georgia. The BritFlix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.